Hey, Sarah here. Summer is fast approaching, and here's what I propose. A relaxed and simple summer that offers just enough structure to keep those long, sticky days from melting into chaos, and just enough fun to keep your kids asking for more. Also, fairy tales. Lots of fairy tales. (laughs) I'm teaching a free workshop called Three Simple Steps to a Fairy Tale Summer, and I would love for you to join me. Save your free seat at the workshop by texting the word fairy tale, all one word, to the number 33777. See you there. listening to the Read Aloud Revival Podcast. This is the podcast that helps you make meaningful and lasting connections with your kids through books. Nancy Carpentier Brown is the wife of artist Michael Brown and the mother of two daughters. She first discovered the work of G.K. Chesterton in college. And as she read biographies of him, she became interested in the life of his wife, Frances. She said she recognized in Frances a kindred spirit, and her interest has made her a leading expert on Frances and indeed the Chestertons. She's a much requested speaker on the Chestertons and the author of numerous works, including the Father Brown Reader 1 and 2, which you've probably heard me recommend at the Read Aloud Revival before a newer book called The Chestertons and the Golden Key, and another new one on Francis called The Woman Who Was Chesterton, which is, of course, all about Gilbert's wife. My own adult life has been shaped in a big way by the work of G.K. Chesterton. I found his work in my 30s, believe it or not, and haven't been quite the same since. So I am so pleased to be joined by Nancy Carpentier Brown today to talk about The Chestertons and how we can introduce our kids to their work. So, Nancy, thank you so much for joining me on the Read Aloud Revival. Thanks for having me, Sarah. I'm so excited to be here. Well, I know we had talked about having you on quite a while ago, and we've all been very eagerly anticipating this conversation. We're so excited. So I'm a big fan of your work, of course, a big fan of G.K. Chesterton. And so I'm excited to introduce his work to our audience and help our listeners find more about how they can introduce their kids to the wonderful world of the Chestertons. Great. Great. I'm I'm all for that. <laughs> awesome. Okay. So how about, I want to talk a little bit about your family and how you got involved in this work. But first, let's give a little quick introduction to our listeners who don't know who G.K. Chesterton is, perhaps. Can we start there? Do you want to give us a little picture of him? Sure. Uh, Chesterton was born in 1874. So it's kind of a long time ago now, but he was the most prolific journalist who was writing in the early part of the last century. So everyone around the world who read newspapers knew who he was. And then kind of World War II happened and everyone sort of forgot about him. And now, just like there's a Read Aloud revival, there's a Chesterton revival going on. Yes. (laughs) And people are, they're reprinting his books now. And everyone is very excited to find him again if they've lost him or find him brand new if they've never heard of him before. And it's like finding an old friend. So his works and his writings, they're interesting. They're funny. They talk about today, like even though he wrote a hundred years ago, people are like, wow, that sounds like it could be today. And that's one of the great things about him and why people get so excited about Chesterton. 
I know when I found him, I felt like I had stumbled on like a hidden C.S. Lewis, like somebody who was, I couldn't believe, how have I never heard of this writer before? But when you say prolific, you really mean prolific. He wrote everything, right? My gosh, yeah. He is just an incredible, I think he wrote over 100 books, something like 5,000 essays, newspaper essays, (laughs) and just an incredible amount of words that came out of this man. And there's no repeats. He has themes. But you can read everything that he wrote and there's no repeats. It's all brand new and it's all clever. (laughs) So good. Yeah. And I know we're going to have to talk a little bit later about some of the best places to start because that's a question. Whenever I talk about Chesterton and I talk about encountering him for the first time in my 30s, which I still am in my 30s, but I just stumbled across his work for the first time a handful of years ago and just went all in so excited about everything I could find. Anyway, I get a lot of questions about where to start. So we'll talk about that too. Tell us a little bit more about how you found Chesterton and your first experience with reading his work. Okay. Well, my first experience was not a good one. I was only 18 and I was in college and I was assigned to read his book, Orthodoxy, which I mistakenly, it was a little thin paperback. And I mistakenly thought that it was going to be a quick weekend read. And so when we started discussing it, We were going to discuss it on Monday. And when I started reading it, I just thought, holy cow, I don't know what I'm reading. I have no idea what this book is about. And I was underlining everything. And ultimately, I just thought, this is somebody I don't understand at all. It didn't make any sense to me. So I kind of just put him away in a very dramatic way. And some people already know this story, but I actually burned the book. I hated it that much. It was awful. I, I don't condone burning books. I've never done it again. But that was one book that I just, I don't know, the, our whole class was just like, oh, get stand this book. And I was with them, but I was 18 and I didn't know what I was doing. So it took like 20 years later when I was about 38, when I encountered a philosophical problem with a friend of mine and she was asking me some questions about the church and faith and things that I just really didn't have the answers for. And so I went online and I kind of Googled and someone said, oh, you should read Chesterton. And I thought, oh, no, that's actually somebody I don't want to read. <laughs> right. All the things I know, I know I don't want to read him. Right. That's what you're thinking. <laughs> about that. And then I said, OK, well, well, I know he's written a lot. What books should I read? And they actually said orthodoxy. And I thought, oh, no, well, that's the exact book of his that I already know. But I thought, well, I'll just go to the library. Maybe if the library had it, you know, I don't have to own it a second time. I'll just read it from the library. And this time when I picked it up, it was like a brand new book. And I completely understood it. And I absolutely loved it. It was an amazing book. And I just was like, who is this Chesterton? I've got to find out more about him. I I need him in my life. Is that interesting about finding the book at the right time in your life, right? Like, I think sometimes as parents, I know that I will worry a little bit that my oldest daughter is 15 and I think, oh my gosh, what if I forget some of these books that I really want her to have before she leaves home? Then I think through how, what a, maybe I wouldn't have been ready for Chesterton at the, at the time, you know, before I found him in my thirties, maybe there's a reason for that. And so there's something about the right book at the right time. I think that's kind of unique to each of us. Oh, yeah, I totally agree with that. Because I know when I was 18, I was not ready for Chesterton. 
and if we want to lead into why I started writing about Chesterton, it's because I didn't want anyone to have that kind of negative experience and miss out on 20 years of Chesterton like I did. Yeah. Even though the possibility is there that I wasn't ready for him until I was older. Well, there are probably, uh, for our listeners who think they haven't heard any Chesterton, you probably have. You probably have heard quotes and little pithy sayings from him that you didn't realize were from him. The one that I don't have memorized that I should, actually, maybe I should try and find it here. I've got all my little Chesterton books surrounding me here. What is the one you might know it off the top of your head about the dragons, about a child? Oh, well, I'm not going to quote it exactly either, but Chesterton says something like, it's no good telling a child that dragons exist. They already know the dragons exist. Fairy tales tell us that the dragons can be beaten. Is that the one? That's it. He's yeah, so that's good. Yeah. And then I'm like, I'm, I've got actually Dale Alquist's book, Common Sense 101 Lessons from J.K. Chesterton in front of me. And I was just flipping through it. Like when you had said, you know, so many pieces like underlined. And I mean, this book is just I could no one would ever else want to read this book because I've got so many <laughs> underlines and notes in it. But one of the ones that I love so much is a piece that he takes out from Orthodoxy where G.K. Chesterton says a child of seven is excited by being told that Tommy opened a door and saw a dragon. But a child of three is excited by being told that Tommy opened a door. Right. And then Dale says, the point is that we were made to be astonished. I just, oh my goodness. Okay, this is the kind of thing that happens to me when I read Chesterton is I read one small thing and I'm like, okay, I got to put that down. I got to read one. That that one little thing's going to percolate for a while. And there's so much behind it. There's some more that I'll read a little bit later, but. Yeah, that's exactly my experience of him too. Every quote is like mind blowing and meditation worthy, you know, because yeah. there's so much there. So much. And sometimes they go over my head. So I think I don't actually know what he meant by that. And that's okay. <laughs> One of the things I tell people who tell me I started reading Chesterton, I don't get it is that that's okay. Like a lot of us don't get it the first time. Sometimes you have to hear it a couple of times. Once in a while, one will hit you because it's it's so relevant to you. The one that I remember reading and like burst out gut laughing was you cannot grow a beard in a moment of passion. And the reason why is because I am such a passionate, impulsive, you know, like I don't, it's not like ready, aim, fire. I'm like firing before I'm aiming, you know, I'm like, and so when I read this, you cannot grow a beard in a moment of passion. I just, it just made me laugh because I thought that's what I'm always trying to do. Make something big and meaningful out of my life without taking the time to be careful, like appreciate slow, careful progress. And so anyway, when you stumble across something like that from Chesterton, I think that's what makes you love him because you think, oh yeah, okay, you get me. (laughs) Exactly, exactly. Okay, so you wrote the Father Brown Readers 1 and 2, which are, um, this is actually where I usually tell people to start. I'll be curious to hear what you say. To people who are just starting with Chesterton, I oftentimes say start with one of his murder mysteries because they're so fun to read. And mm-hmm. um, you don't feel like you have to be looking for these life changing nuggets. You can just enjoy a good story. And then you get to the end and you realize, oh, wow, there was like a life changing nugget in there. Wow. <laughs> how did he do that? But you rewrote these for children. So tell me why you decided to do that. Well, when I discovered Chesterton, my oldest daughter was 10. No, actually, she was eight. I'm going to go back. She was eight. And she was a really good reader. And as soon as I rediscovered Chesterton, I wanted her to have some kind of experience with Chesterton, some positive 
And I knew that the murder mysteries were, she liked mysteries. She had read tons of mysteries already. And I thought, oh, great. We got Father Brown mysteries now that we can go through. And this is going to be fun. And so I got her the very first, uh, it's called The Innocence of Father Brown. It's the first 10 Father Brown mysteries all in one book. And I gave it to her and she didn't read it. And I came back to her and I was like, well, what's the matter with this book? And she's like, well, the vocabulary is kind of a little over my head. And I was like, no way. You have a big vocabulary. You're going to be fine with that. Don't worry about it. And you know, she's she's like, no, really, mom, the, I just am not. I'm not. And I said, OK, well, that's no problem. I'll just read it out loud to you. So we started out and I started reading it out loud. And I don't know if you've ever done that with Father Brown. But the vocabulary is really, really tough. Even for me, and I was like, wait a minute, there's words in here. I don't even, I mean, we were looking stuff up and it was stopping the fun yeah. of the mystery. And I said, you know what? You're right. This is really tough. And it just really bothered me then that I couldn't share that with her. But the very next thing that happened was we had gone to a library in a different town and we were in the children's section and we were just exploring because it's a different library. And I found this book on the shelf and it was Sherlock Holmes for kids. And it was an adapted version of some of the mysteries that I knew, but I could read and I read them out loud to my daughter. And I was like, oh my gosh, this is exactly what someone needs to do with Father Brown. And I wonder how long I'll have to wait for that to happen. (laughs) And then I was like, well, gee, maybe I could do that. And and I was homeschooling my kids at the time, and I wondered how I was going to do that. But I was taking them to art lessons. So for like two hours, twice a week, they were taking art lessons. And I thought, during that speck of time, I'm going to start working on this. I'm going to see if I can do it. And that's how the Father Brown Reader 1 actually happened. We'll get back to the show in just a minute. At the beginning of today's episode, I mentioned that what I propose for this summer is a relaxed and simple plan that offers just enough structure to keep your days from melting into chaos and just enough fun to keep your kids asking for more. And what summer wouldn't be much, much better with a whole bunch of fairy tales? Well, I'm teaching a free workshop called Three Simple Steps to a Fairy Tale Summer and here's what we're going to talk about. First, how reading fairy tales can make your summer easier. Yes, easier. We wanna take things off your plate this summer, not put more on, right? (laughs) Fairy tales can make your summer easier and more fun. I'm also gonna share the fairy tales I recommend for every age and the tippy top thing you can do to make sure your kids make delightful memories this summer. It is way less work and way less pressure than you think. The free workshop is happening live online on May 7th, 2024, and you can save your free seat by texting the word fairy tale, all one word, to the number 33777. And yes, there's a replay, so make sure you register even if you can't join us live on May 7th. Again, text the word fairy tale, all one word, to the number 33777. I remember when I realized I found that reader and I realized I had been newly introduced to G.K. Chesterton. I was reading him voraciously and Mm -hmm. my kids saw this. And then 
they real I got this reader and I think they were all kind of like, oh, great. You know, mom's going to foist this new obsession of hers onto us. Mm-hmm. And um, they usually don't complain when I, we read aloud all the time. Right. Uh, right, right. And they usually don't complain about my our read alouds. But when I told them I was going to read aloud a fa- the Father Brown reader by the stories of G.K. Chesterton's mysteries, they all started groaning. I think only because they had seen me doing so much of this reading and they're like, oh, great. Here comes mom. So I read <laughs> the first page and a half from chapter one of the Blue Cross in your book, in your uh-huh. Father Brown reader. Are you okay with me reading the first page here on there? Okay. Go for it. Chapter one, Valentine and Flambeau. A silver dawn graced the London sky as a boat landed in the glittering harbor at Harwich. People exited the ferry like a swarm of flies, moving in and among each other and hurrying in different directions. Among the confusion was a man who easily could have gone unnoticed, and he certainly wished to be inconspicuous. There was nothing special about him, except, perhaps, the serious look on his face, which was at odds with his holiday clothing, a pale gray jacket, and a silver straw hat. His face was thin, his skin was dark, and he had a narrow black beard. Like many other men on holiday, he carried an elegant walking cane. There was nothing to indicate that under his jacket was a loaded revolver, that in his pocket was a police identification card, or that under his hat was one of the best brains one of the most powerful intellects in all of Europe. This was Valentin himself, the head of the Paris police, the most famous investigator in the world. He had just arrived in London to make the greatest arrest of the century. For Flambeau, the notorious criminal, was in England. The police of three countries had tracked him from city to city across Europe, and now they had guessed that he would take advantage of the confusion and the crowds attending the Eucharistic Congress in London. Probably. He would pretend to be some minor clerk or parish priest. But no one knew that for certain. Nobody could be certain about Flambeau. For months now, Europe had been quiet. After robberies and crimes had been committed in all directions by Flambeau, when the papers had news of his great, I mean his awful, accomplishments almost daily, suddenly it was quiet. And the quiet was disturbing to the police chief. He knew that when Flambeau was quiet, something was going to happen. So I stopped reading there, slammed the book closed, and said, eh, I guess you guys aren't really interested in reading Chesterton. And all three of them were like, Mom, you can't stop there. (laughs) I thought it was like one of my finest mothering moments. Very proud of that. And we continued to read all of the mysteries, and they adored them. So so great. Yeah. I love that you've stayed so true to the Chesterton story itself, to Chesterton's words but you've done it in a way that makes it so much more accessible to get our kids to fall in love with his work so that their first interaction with G.K. Chesterton isn't that overwhelming, I feel like I don't understand this kind of impression, but they have this first really delightful encounter with his work. Yes. And that's exactly, exactly what I wanted to do was make that so that these kids who hear of Chesterton and have this fun first experience Someday when they need his, you know, deeper philosophy or, you know, ideas about the world, they're going to think those happy thoughts about Chesterton rather than me, how I thought kind of sad thoughts about Chesterton. (laughs) (laughs) But that's what I was hoping, you know, that you would have this great first encounter with this great man and have these good feelings about him and then, you know, slowly get more into Chesterton if, if, you know, hopefully that would be possible. Yeah. Now, is that where you would recommend? That's usually where I tell people to start with their kids is to start with Father Brown Reader One. Is that where you tell people to start as well? 
Yep, definitely. That's the easiest. Well, and my, you know, my newer book about the Chestertons and the Golden Key, that's about the Chestertons. But if you want to actually read kind of Chesterton's work, I think the Father Brown readers are the great place to start. Yes. And the Chestertons and the Golden Key. So for those of you listening, now you co-wrote that with Regina Doman. Is that right? Yeah, I started it out and then she helped me, you know, with the plotting and stuff like that. This was really my first novel of writing, trying to write something completely out of my own head, out of a novel. And she's totally experienced with that sort of thing. So I was so grateful for her help on that. Yeah, she really, she helped it a lot. (laughs) Now, if that name sounds familiar to those of you listening, Regina Doman did an author access event for the teens in our Read Revival membership, where she came on and talked about her fairy tales retold, which are easily my favorite books to recommend for teens. They're so good. And she runs Chesterton Press. Press. Yes. Okay. Mm -hmm. (laughs) I thought I got that name wrong for a second. Chesterton Press. And we'll put a link to that in the show notes so you can find that work as well. And the the Chestertons and the Golden Key is a biography, right? Well, it's actually a mini story about the Chestertons and how they find this family that is living down the street from them and become friends with them. So there's definitely some biographical information in there. And there's it's a true story. They actually did meet this family. So it's based on that. But then it's fictionalized. So it's more of a story of... That was another thing why I wanted to do that was because I wanted kids to know Gilbert and Francis as people, not just know about them. So were they sweet? Were they kind? Were they uh, nice neighbors? What would happen if you got to know them if you were a child living next door to them? So that was really the reason why I wrote The Chestertons and the Golden Key. And if you are a parent who is a fan of Chesterton and you're reading that one aloud to your kids, you will laugh. When you find things like the quote about the cheese, which I'm not going to spoil for anyone listening, but I know as somebody who really appreciates Chesterton's work, little pieces like that in the book just really like just made me smile and just I loved it. It was so much fun. We'll have links, of course, to all the Father Brown readers and to Chesterton's and the Golden Key and Nancy's books, as well as the work of Dale Alquist and the Chesterton Society, American Chesterton Society in the links to the show notes. Actually, maybe that's a good place for us to go next. So there is something of a Chesterton revival happening, especially in the States right now. And so do you want to talk a little bit about your work with the Chesterton Society? Sure. The American Chesterton Society exists to try to promote and get people excited about the works of G.K. Chesterton. And we've been around for about 30 years. So, you know, pretty recently, but more and more recently, more and more people are getting involved and are just really excited about the works of Chesterton. So we have a website where we try to help people get to know more about Chesterton. We publish some books about Chesterton. We're also trying to collect all of Chesterton's works into one digital place that eventually will be called the Chesterton Digital Library. And anything you want to look up about him will be online. And we publish a magazine. So I do recommend if parents are interested in being introduced to Chesterton little by little, our magazine, which is called Gilbert, which is Gilbert's first name, you get a little chunk of Chesterton about eight times a year. And it's a really great way of just reading a few of his essays at a time. Mm-hmm. You want to kind of slowly about that. So becoming a member of the American Chesterton Society is something people could do if they wanted to start learning a little bit more about Chesterton. Definitely. Speaking of his essays, my do you have a favorite selection of his essays yourself? I'm curious. 
I do. Uh, there's a book called What's Wrong with the World. Oh, yes. Mm-hmm. And there are some great essays in there. But I think my very favorite, I, if I had to say one essay, it's called, <laughs> this is a crazy title, but it's called The Emancipation of Domesticity. I don't think I've read that one. <laughs> I'm writing it down. <laughs> yep. It's called The Emancipation of Domesticity. And what it is, is Chesterton's very humorous take on how women at the time, of course, he was going through the whole period of suffragettes. And they were saying, oh, we have to get out of the home. We have to be free. And, you know, this whole essay is about the freedom that we actually have in our own homes is much, much more than any freedom the world is going to give you out there. And it's Mm. a great essay. My own favorite essays of his are in Tremendous Trifles. And I listened to an audio recording. I think maybe it was on LibriVox or something. I'm not really sure where I listened to the audio recording. I'll have to find it for the show notes. But I listened to it just while I was doing work around the house. And I would just find myself giggling out loud because (laughs) he has such a funny, delightful way of like saying what you don't expect him to say. (laughs) Exactly. Yeah, that's a great collection. Yeah, that's a great one. Um, How old do you recommend parents start reading Father Brown Reader or the first Father Brown Reader with their kids? Uh, well, I've had, uh, if, if you have multiple ages, even down to six can listen to them. The first collection that I did, they were non-murder mysteries. So they were just a, a theft of a precious diamond or a missing person. And then I was going to do, I was looking for four more that were non-murder mysteries because I didn't know how sensitive You know, because some kids are more sensitive about stuff like that. But I couldn't find four more that were the four in the Father Brown Reader 2 actually do involve murder mysteries. So I do like to tell parents that if your child is sensitive, you want to wait a little bit and um, you might want to start that maybe more when they're eight to 10, something like that. If you were going to, if an adult came to you and said, okay, well, I just want to get started. So you've already said Gilbert, the magazine, to give you bite sized pieces, but is there a, a particular Chesterton book or? collection that you would recommend them starting with? Sometimes it depends on the person. If people do like fiction, I do recommend the Father Brown readers. We actually have a reading plan on our website, on the American Chesterton Society website, which is chesterton.org, if you're looking that up, and then look under reading plan. But usually, if people need like a step, kind of a segue into Chesterton, you know, they're not quite sure... Dale Alquist's books are excellent places to start. He has two. One is called The Apostle of Common Sense. And the other one is the one you mentioned before, Common Sense 101. Oh, you have them both. Yeah, Great. So, and this um, one too. <laughs> Although yeah. this one's a, kind of a 201 maybe. Yeah, complete yeah. thinker. But I think The Apostle of Common Sense is actually the best first book mm-hmm. that you can read. And then you get little pieces of different things that Chesterton wrote. And what I will tell people is read that first and tell me what hits you. What do you like the essays? Do you like this book? Do you like the sound of the mysteries? Do you like the sound of his philosophy? And whichever one of those things hits you, then you go in that direction with Chesterton. That is such good advice. This is actually the Apostle Common Sense, I think was the first thing that I read about Chesterton. And it was so good because he quotes so much Chesterton in there, but he also unpacks it a little bit for you. Which helps a lot when you feel like you're kind of in over your head. And then Mm -hmm. the chapters are actually separated by Chesterton's works. There's a chapter on orthodoxy, which Nancy mentioned earlier, a chapter on what's wrong with the world, a chapter on Father Brown, and a bunch of other chapters too. But it gives you just the snippets of the book and it gives you a taste to go, okay, I think I want to read this book next. 
Exactly. The other thing that I do recommend if people are interested in Chesterton's life is a biography of him. And the best biography, I think, is Joseph Pierce's Wisdom and Innocence. Okay, I've not read that. Yeah, it gives you because when I first read Orthodoxy, I actually thought that Chesterton must be a priest. Mm -hmm. I thought he's just like so heady in theology and philosophy. And then when I read the biography, I found out he was a married man. And I was like, oh, that's cool. Yeah. Yeah. Another really good place to start if you or your teens maybe are into graphic novels is that Chesterton Press has some graphic novels of Chesterton's Father Brown Mysteries. The Ball and the Cross is one that we have illustrated by Ben Hatkey, which if you've listened to the podcast or you hang out on our Facebook page, you may have seen us recommending some of Ben Hatkey's other works. He's a really delightful illustrator. He's uh, created a graphic novel for Chesterton Press on The Ball and the Cross. And then my oldest daughter read The Ballad of the White Horse, published by Chesterton Press, which was also illustrated by Ben Hatkey. So the illustrations make it feel a little less intimidating as well. Yes, yes. Do you have any other tips for helping parents get started? Yeah, I don't know if you have heard of Jim Weiss. um, Oh, yes. Okay, so one of his recordings is called Mystery Mystery, and it has three old stories on it. One is Edgar Allan Poe, The Purloined Letter, I think it is, and I can't remember the second one, but the third one is The Blue Cross. And you know, Jim does these voices and everything. It's a great rendition of the Blue Cross. So we listened to that many, 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 many times in our car when we were driving places. So that's a good place if you want to hear a great audio version of the Blue Cross. Fantastic. We'll make sure we link to that in the show notes. Jim is a friend of the Relaunch Revival. We had him on for two episodes right at the beginning. I think it's episodes four and five or something. Oh. Um, so inspiring. We love his work. Oh, so. yeah, yeah. I, I mean, we own like everything he has practically. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and then the second thing is for an old movie to watch, it's called The Detective. And the star of the movie who plays Father Brown is Alec Guinness, who in future years would be Obi-Wan Kenobi. Really? Yes. So if your kids are familiar with Obi-Wan Kenobi and you want to watch an old movie where Alec Guinness is Father Brown, it's called The Detective. I have a kind of a hard time picturing Obi-Wan Kenobi as Father Brown, but... He's much younger in there. I think it was done in the 1950s and it's in black and white, but that's okay. I mean, we really enjoyed it. And that is also the story of the Blue Cross. Excellent. So those are two things that, you know, sort of multimedia GK Chesterton options there for parents. Perfect. I love that. I love those kind of low barriers to entry just to get your feet wet and see if if maybe something lights on fire. (laughs) Exactly. Exactly. Okay, so for those who are looking to connect, I know we'll have links to all the the books and the versions that we've talked about today to the American Chesterton Society. Where else can we find you and connect with you and your work? Yeah, I, I am connected to the Chesterton Society. I have my own blog. If you go to nancy-brown.com, that links to me. Chesterton Press is where my books are and Hillside Education. I don't know if you've heard of them, but... Yes. Yeah, Hillside published. I have a couple of study guides. So if you have high school students and you want to introduce them to Chesterton, I have a study guide for the Blue Cross and for his work on St. Francis of Assisi. I didn't Um, know that. I'm looking at it right now. I'm a big fan of Hillside Educations. Oh, look at those. Okay. Fantastic. I'm going to be ordering those today. (laughs) I'm a big fan of Hillside Education and the work they do there. So yeah. yeah. So yeah. So those are 
And then obviously go to Chesterton.org if you want to know more about Chesterton. Excellent. Nancy, thank you so much. This has been really fun. I knew it would be wonderful to have a conversation with you. And I appreciate you carving out some time for us. So thanks for coming on the show. My pleasure. Thank you, Sarah. Now it's time for Let the Kids Speak. This is my favorite part of the podcast, where kids tell us about their favorite stories that have been read aloud to them. Hello, my name is Ashley. I am nine years old. I live in Baghdad, Kentucky, and my favorite book is Heidi. My favorite part is when Clara comes to the mountains and Heidi says, this is the mountains, and Clara is so happy that she gets to come for a few weeks. My name is Michael, and I'm seven years old, and I live in Baghdad, Kentucky. And what I'm going to talk about is a Boston children book, The Blue Bay Mystery, and it's when the Aldens go to a deserted South Sea Island, and they discover that someone's watching them. Hi, my name is Caleb. I am eight years old. I live in Dunedin, New Zealand. And my favorite book is The Folk of the Faraway Tree by Enid Blyton. And my favorite bit in it is when the good guys scare the bad trolls. My name is Esther and I am five years old. I live in Dunedin, New Zealand. Um, the story is about the three little pigs. My favorite part is about the three little pigs um, live happily ever after. Hello, my name is Fenton, and I'm five years old, and I live in Maryland. And my favorite book is Goodnight Gorilla. Why do you like Goodnight Gorilla? Because I can read it by myself. And my dad walks there and at the zoo and just like the man in the book. Hi, my name is Kinsley. I am seven years old. I live in Maryland. My favorite book is called The Seven Silly Eaters. I like it because each member of the Peters family will only eat one certain type of food. And at the end, they put all their ingredients together and it makes a cake, and they eat it every day because it is the only meal they can agree on. Hi, my name is Callan. I am eight and a half years old. I live in Maryland. My favorite book is called Mega Man, The Return of Dr. Wiley because I love comic books. This book is my favorite because it has my favorite character in it named Heat Man, whose power is fire and weakness is water. I love his, this character so much that I even created a costume of Heatman to wear for Halloween. Hello, my name is Zeke. I'm 13 years old and live in California. And one of my favorite books is 20,000 Leagues Under the Sea. And my a favorite part is when they, they are at Atlantis. Hello, my name is Jonah. I live in Tennessee and I'm seven years old. My favorite book is Where the Wild Things Are. I like it because he sails to another ocean and he meets monsters. I also like the illustrations. Hi, my name is Lara and I'm six years old. I live in Kansas and my favorite book is Petunia. 
and I like it because they find a box, they think it's candy, but it's really fireworks, and they eat it, but and they blow up. My name is Lincoln. I live in Kansas. I'm eight years old. My favorite book is The Circus Ship. I like it because they hide in the circus master and they blend in. Hi, my name is Asma. I live in Tampa and I'm five years old. My favorite book is The Obstacle from Santa Boyton. Thank you, kids. Oh, man, I especially love hearing from teens. So a special thanks to Zeke for calling in. And, you know, I'd love to hear from you, too. So head to readaloudrevival.com if you haven't already left a message for our Let the Kids Speak portion of the podcast. Would you believe that we have featured over 400 kids recommendations on the Read Aloud Revival podcast? True story, over 400. And we want to hear from you, too. So Head to readaloudrevival.com, scroll to the bottom of the page, and you can leave a message for us there. We air absolutely every message that we receive in the order we receive it in. We would love to feature your child on the podcast as well. And if you're a teen, oh my goodness, please, please leave us a message. We love to hear the books that you're loving. Other teens who are listening to the podcast, they love to get your book recommendations and really enjoy hearing about the books that you're enjoying most. So we really appreciate you taking a few minutes to call in. Hey, parents, you can also leave a message for us with any questions that you'd like us to try to answer on a future episode of the Read Aloud Revival podcast. Just head to readaloudrevival.com. You can also scroll to the bottom of the page and you'll find out how there. Those questions are going to make for some fun podcast episodes coming soon here at the RAR. So would love to get your messages there so we can answer as many of them as possible. If you haven't had a chance to visit the Read Aloud Revival shop yet, come on over and take a peek. As you know, we are super committed here at the Read Aloud Revival to keeping this podcast ad-free and sponsor-free. Part of the way we do that is by you, the listeners, supporting the podcast by visiting the Read Aloud Revival shop. We have beautiful hand-thrown pottery mugs made in the USA, awesome, really durable, and our fan favorite (laughs) book bags in lime green and turquoise. We've got t-shirts in a variety of sizes and more. So go ahead and check that out. That's at rarstore.com. I'll be back in two weeks with another episode of the podcast. Really excited to introduce you to Laura Martin, who's one of my new favorite authors. I think you're going to love her. We'll be back in two weeks with that episode. Until then, I hope you go make meaningful and lasting connections with your kids through books. Thanks for listening. 